Hello, I'm Badis, and welcome to the Implement Podcast. This is a podcast where we have great conversations about marketing, growing brands, and what it takes to be a great marketer. If you're interested in keeping up with the podcast episodes and the amazing content we produce at Implement, you should definitely subscribe to our newsletter. Just go to join-implement.com to subscribe. All right, enough self-promo. Let's dive into this new episode. And thanks again for tuning in. Welcome, everyone, to this new episode of the Implement Podcast. Today, my guest is Larry Sharp. Uh, Larry is the host of The Sharp Way. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time, Larry, today to, to speak with me. Uh, Absolutely. Maybe, uh... I'm very happy to be here. And I want to make sure everyone knows that The Sharp Way is the number one podcast in the world with Sharp in it. All right. That was a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bad one, clearly. <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, can you tell us maybe a bit more about The Sharp Way, what you, what you do at the, with The Sharp Way? Um, it's a, it's a cool podcast that talks about cultural political issues and tries to actually solve problems versus just yell left versus right, which right now in America, all you do is people just yell left versus right. They don't solve anything. Um, one of the things that we have to realize as just humans, we often fail to communicate because of two issues Two. one of them is we have a desire to be right and to be right right now. That's what humans want to be. I want to be right. Modest, tell me I'm right and tell everyone I'm right. Tell them right now, right? I want to be right right now. But the savviest leaders, the savviest people know that it's okay to be right later. And many people who have children in their life realize that. If, you have, if you're a grandfather, uncle, mother, father, godmother, whatever you might be in your life, if you have children in your life and you watch them fail and then watch them be, you know, go, oh man, you were right. It's better to be right later. That's number one. But the second issue is, We project ourselves onto others. We always assume that what I think the way everyone else thinks. Everybody's me. I'm the average guy. You're not the average guy. You're you. I'm me. We think differently. And those are the two biggest reasons why we, we, we miscommunicate. And that goes through life, business, and sadly, also through politics. And yeah. we wind up you know, making bad decisions because we didn't communicate well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love when you talked about this bias of being right because it's uh, and and sort of projecting ourselves because it's uh, it's something we marketers have to have to understand and deal with all the oh, time. Oh yes, so, uh, yes. So well, yeah, the, the, this is this is in marketing and also in leadership too. It's in communication in general. As here's the hardest part: as we begin to move up, either in our business or in our companies, generally speaking. When you're a junior, either a new to a business or new to a company, and you're more junior, you're usually given accolades and promoted and given attaboys, right? Whatever it is, because you are technically proficient. You're good at your job. And that's valuable. That's, I'm glad that you are. Someone else is actually telling you, you know, are looking at what the actual effects are. You aren't when you're junior. But as you become more senior, Now you're looking at the actual effects of what you're doing and you're deciding where to go and how to go, right? The changes. <clears throat> so you realize that your communication and your action has to be judged less on the accuracy and more on the results. You're judged by your results, not by your accuracy as you move up the chain. Now, do you have to be accurate? Of course, but that's normal. 
but for you to make those steps up, either to become a better leader or a better entrepreneur or a better you know, insert thing here, whatever you be better at, you have to realize that being good at what you do is no longer enough. You have to also be responsible for the results of what you do. Yeah. Um, that would be a good lesson for politicians around the world, I would think so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a, that's a legitimate question. Do you think you can be right in politics? Like you talk about um, sort of, uh, uh, you know, what you're trying to do with a sharp way, etc. But is there such a thing as being right in politics? And, and can, you, can you establish that? You can. The issue is most, is most things you want to solve, most problems you have to deal with that are deep-rooted take time. And the problem is you can't be right right now. So you have to build up a level of trust so that people can trust you to wait the time. You see it often in marketing too, right? Not every marketing campaign pays off in a week. Some do, depends on what you're doing. And a specific campaign might pay off in a week. But generally speaking, it takes time before the campaigns pay off. So yeah. now what happens? Well, success, as you know, never is a straight line, right? It's, it's a wiggly line as you go up. So when you're on one of those down parts, does everybody go, oh, now you're terrible. Look, we're on a down part. The world's ending. Shut it all down. <laughs> or do you go, give me another week. Give me a month. It goes down sometimes. It'll go back up. So there's a trust level you have to achieve yeah. to where people will actually do that. And generally speaking, trust comes from being consistent. And this is basic stuff, right? If, if I'm around you and you see me often, And you and I don't fight. We don't have a problem. You don't shove me. You don't spit my eye. Please don't spit my eye. But you don't do any of those things, right? It, what happens is we begin to trust each other just because we're around each other. And I know that if I'm hanging around you, bad things don't happen. Okay, I trust them. And one of the ways we do that is by things like this. I call this the Oprah effect. What do I mean by that? If you've ever watched Oprah on TV or in a movie or wherever, when she meets somebody in the news, She always hugs them. They always hug her. And you say, why would you hug her? You don't know her. You've never met her before in your life. Why would you walk up and hug this woman? You don't, you've never met her. The problem is they've seen her on TV when she had her TV show, right? I'm in my 50s. So Oprah was a big deal when I was coming up, right? So at that point, everyone saw Oprah, you know, four or five times a week in the living room every day. So they felt like they trusted and they knew her. So they'd meet her and they'd want to hug her. And Oprah figured this out. So she would see people and just start hugging people, even though she had no idea who they were. Yeah. It's similar level of trust, being consistent, hearing the same things. There were reasons why on both in America, both left and right, why people really trusted Bernie Sanders and why people really trusted Trump. And that's left and right. And the reason why they trusted both of them is because they saw them all the time and they were consistent all the time. They were always yeah. saying the same things all the time. So people naturally began to trust both of these people just because yeah. they saw them. So if you lean left, you probably trusted Bernie. If you lean right, you probably trusted Trump. But that's just how it worked. I think we, as, as individuals, have to be the same way. People yeah. should see us. And if we're in a world where we're in a physical building, right, prior to the COVID lockdowns, most people were in physical buildings. You should be around a lot. And when I was in the Marine Corps, I was, I was in the Marines for seven years. We had something called, w, I'm sorry, LB. Uh, WA, leadership by walking around. <laughs> And that means be seen, right? Just yeah. be seen. Let people, don't sit in your office, be seen, be around. That's a whole lot harder now that a lot of us are in lockdown. 
but it means a whole lot more what Zoom calls or whatever is or whatever you can possibly do, or even just content. Now I'm insane. I produce about eight to ten hours of live content every single week. That's insanity. <laughs> I know I'm crazy, but I produce so much content so that people can can trust me and feel like okay, Larry's been saying the same thing for years. He's the same guy. It's trustworthy. If I start some kind of campaign that begins to fail, I hope I've gained enough trust where they just go, all right, we'll give another week or two. And I think that works in business. Or even, again, if you're a small marketing company and you're, you're competing against the big guys, remember that if you're a small marketing company competing against more popular people, it depends upon who you're selling to. If you're selling to another individual, he or she is the owner, right? It's their money you have a higher chance of getting that deal than selling uh, towards a large, uh, a group of people, a panel of people, right? Where there's three or four or five people and it's not their money. They're hired to do this. Why? Because when the individual is picking you, it's their money. They care. Their goal is to not waste their time, to not waste their money. When a panel is picking you, what their goal is, is to not get fired. That's true. It's not confined. Yeah. So if they pick the cheapest, they save money. But if they pick the most popular, then if they fail, it's not their fault. They pick the most popular. Yeah. So this is why it's always harder to sell to a panel if you're a smaller company. But how do you get around that? You get around that by being known. Generally speaking, in today's world, that is social media, social media, social media, social media doing podcasts like this, right? Listening and talking and learning, being able to speak the right buzzwords, doing your own social media whenever you can, being active. If they Google you and can't find you, that's a problem, yeah. right? You Google Absolutely. Larry Sharp, I'm the first three pages. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it's quite impressive, the, the amount of content you produce. Like uh, it's- uh, Oh yes. Well done. It's. Um... But it's a, uh, I don't know, I feel it's it's kind of sad because uh, you, you, we were talking about being right and now we're yep. talking about being seen. So, yes, you know, it's uh, this, this. Remember, uh, perception is everything. That's yeah. the issue. It's perception. The problem is we're worried about what is correct. And that's good. You should. But if someone doesn't believe you're an expert, it doesn't matter if you're an expert. If someone believes you're an expert, it doesn't matter if you're an expert. In either case, it doesn't matter if you're an expert. It's only what they believe. Remember, in any in any business, if you're a business owner or if you're at that level of controlling the business, there are three parts to any business when you break it down. And right? when you really break it down to its, reduce it to its, its core, there's sales and marketing, operations, administration. That's it, right? When you break it down to its absolute core, only three. When it comes to sales and marketing, the number one thing is efficiency. That means for every dollar I put in, how many dollars am I getting back? That is the number one piece when it comes to sales uh, and marketing. What do I put in? What do I get back? Critical piece. You've got to be able to be efficient in your sales and marketing. But when it comes to operations, that that's effectiveness. So sometimes yeah. I'll spend more money in operations to ensure I satisfy my customer. The yeah. big difference between the two, in sales and marketing, It is only perception. You could be the worst in the world and you can still sell like you're great, right? It's only perception. 
When you go to operations, the reverse is true. Now it's reality. I got to actually be good at what I say. I've got to be able to do the job. Those are two separate pieces. And the sad part for people who have multiple hats is they forget which hat they have on. Yeah. And they put on the operations hat while they're selling or they're selling hat while doing operations. It's a problem. Yeah. And the last yeah. one is admin. And admin and admin is all about outsourcing. Admin is a waste of time. <laughs> Every much of admin you can get away, get away. That's you get get away, get all the admin away to the best of your, that's legal, finance, all those things. Outsource that to the best of your ability. Right. Not everyone can do that, obviously. I, I get where people are, but to the yeah. best of your ability, outsource that stuff. It just it doesn't service a client, it doesn't get a client, outsource it. Yeah. Right. And th- that's that's how you should be thinking in general. So there's a, a side of, of perception you've got to work on. Now, this goes, you know, all good marketers understand that. But the sad part about most marketers, and you see it, most good marketers, <clears throat> excuse me, don't market themselves well. Hmm. They market their clients great, but themselves terrible. It's like the old, the old uh, you know, saying, the, the shoemaker's son has no shoes. Yeah. Right? Everyone else in town got shoes, but his son has no shoes. Right. So I think that's a common problem. Yeah. But if I could bring that to the, the, the idea when it comes to marketing and, sa- and sales, if I could bring that to the idea of brand, if you don't mind me going down that, that road. Sure. Yeah. All of us create our own brand. And most people believe if you just ask the person, well, what's your brand? They assume it's a logo. That's what most people believe. And sadly, even some marketers believe that. I hear people who say, I do branding. And I say, what's that mean? Well, I do logos. That's not branding, right? Branding is at its core, again, I'm, I'm reducing it to its, its bare minimum so that people understand the theory behind it. Branding at its core is the emotion or feeling that people get when they interact with your marketing and your operations, not your admin side. Yeah. When they interact with your, your marketing and your operations, what is the emotional thing you get? And most people believe you got to have a high-end brand. Absolutely not true. You have to have two things, a brand that matches you, whoever you are or whatever you're doing, right? That's important. That's the match. And it has to be congruent. And, the, and what I mean by that is think about uh, in America, of course, we have Walmart, huge, huge company. And if you'd ask what most people think about Walmart, what, what do they feel about it? They would say, big and cheap. And they're right. They're big and cheap. <laughs> so if you walk into a Walmart and you see two people wearing a suit, what would you do? You'd say, whoa, what's going on? Why are there people wearing suits here? Right? It yeah. wouldn't fit. It's incongruent. You would hesitate. Naturally. Yeah. Now, you probably think, well, maybe they're cops. And they get ready to arrest somebody in here, maybe. You might think that, maybe, or something. Or maybe they're, they, you know, they, they, they get ready to investigate or, or whatever. But you wouldn't think there were, were people shopping there. You wouldn't imagine that. Now, it, not just that. You look at their employees. Employees are wearing their own clothes with a cheap vest. And you're fine. And people spend tons of money in Walmart. It's a very low brand. If you look outside, it's plastic and paper everywhere. It's cheap. Of course, it's the right brand. Yeah. But then go into a high-end store like a Nordstrom's or something like that. And what do you see? Changes everything. Now, both stores make money. Neither brand is bad. But if they're congruent, people don't hesitate. Yeah, and that's the issue. If you want people to say, yeah, remember, hesitation in sales means no. Yeah. Hesitations in marketing means less efficient. Because now they're going to come back. Maybe they could. Who knows? 
So you want to make sure that you're you're providing the least amount of reasons for people to hesitate. And understanding your brand is critical. You don't want to have a brand that is incongruent. People will hesitate. And if everyone's online now, hesitation means they click someplace else. And now you've probably lost them. You might not. If you're really good, they might come back. It's possible. But odds are you've lost them. If you haven't lost them, you've delayed your your revenue. I don't want to delay my revenue. I don't want to lose them. So more congruent brand, the better. And the sad part about the branding piece is what I mentioned earlier. Your brand doesn't hit immediately. You can't see the effects of brand, you know, in a week. You just can't. You're not going to notice it, right? It's at least three months before you see the effect of a brand, sometimes even longer, but it's at least three months before you see the effect. And then how do you change brand? I'm going to give you a very simple exercise. Everything I do, I reduce to the simplest because I cut my teeth when I started my my NeoSage business. And for those of you who don't know, I also run the NeoSage Group, which is my consulting company. And when um, when I first started this company in 2004, about 17 years ago, I was working only with small companies. Why? I had no resume. Why would a big company hire me? So I was dealing with small companies. They're the only people who would hire me. So that's how I cut my teeth on this. So I do a very so most of my exercises are very go you know break it down to the sim- simplest possible. And I would ask anyone who's listening, if you're thinking about rebranding yourself or your company or whatever, any kind of rebrand, you want to go to people, in the case of yourself, who know you, hopefully some professional and hopefully some personal. You want a mix of both. You want at least three people. If you can get more, that's great, but three will work. Two is not enough and one is one is wor- worthless. At least three. Four or five is great. Three is good. You want to ask them questions like this. You start your conversation with something silly like, hey, Bonus Luck, you, you know me. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. It's going to seem a little weird, but please stay with me and just go through it with me. Seriously, you want to prep them so it, so it doesn't become a joke, so they don't mess around. So you, you say, it's odd, but I'm serious. So please stay with me. I need this to help kind of change my career around and do some, do some changes in my life. So please help me. And then I'm going to ask you this. Modest, let me ask you a question. What animal am I? And I'm, it's a serious question. And you're going to be like, what? And all you're <laughs> going to do, all I, this is a critical distinction here. When they try to qualify it, and they often will, you cannot give them any insight because then you color their, their, their world. You can only just repeat the question. That's it. I mean, what animal am I? Now, whatever you answer, I actually don't care what the answer is. I care what the next the, the answer to the next question is, which is always the same. Okay, why? The actual thing you answer, I don't care. The why I care about. So if you go, no. you know, Larry, you're an elephant. And I go, <laughs> okay, why? Now, maybe I'm insulted. You think I'm fat, right? Maybe I'm, I'm insulted now, but I can't be. I've got to go, okay, why? And you go, because you like remember everything. That's the why part, right? And that's what I care about. Then I go to another one and I pick any three or four random things. It doesn't matter what it is as long as it's random. One thing, if it's America, don't say car because that's so trite and done so often, someone's already colored by that. So don't use car, but anything else. What, what, kind, of, you know, what kind of food am I? You know what, Larry? You are spaghetti and meatballs. Okay, why? Now again, I could be insulted, but 
shut up. Just say, okay, why? Because you know what I think of? <clears throat> That's comfort food. So I think, I feel comfortable around you. So <clears throat> your spaghetti and meatballs. Okay, great. And then go one more. What color am I? What store am I? What insert thing that you feel comfortable, just not car. And just say it and then ask why. And what you're looking for are words and descriptors that keep popping up. Do that for three people. Get at least three answers, giving you nine answers. Nine total answers. And anything that is one, a one-off, anomaly, throw it away. Yeah. Right? But if any descriptors come up, so say as I go through it, I hear, um, you know, comfortable and smart. That's what I hear. Comfortable and smart. You know, like one of those professors who wears a sweater and lets you talk to them in the, st- in the school. Okay, great. Then guess what? That's my brand. Yeah. Whether I like that or not, that's my actual brand. My brand is the comfortable professor. If I don't like that brand, I have work to do and I have to change it now. I've got to make a rebrand, change everything because that's what's coming across. Yeah. If I like that brand, life is good. Move on it. Now, what does that mean? That means I should communicate that way. That's how I should communicate. If people, you know, come back and say, you know what you are? You're like, you know, that that cool hip guy who, you know, I see on the corner with the cool clothes. If that's who they you, you're up with, then you should communicate that way. You should you shouldn't communicate in a way that sounds professorial if people think you're the cool guy on the street or the reverse. You might go, but everyone in my in my industry, they all communicate this way. It doesn't matter. That's not who you are. You're going to fail in an industry. You're gonna you're gonna hesitate. The only way you become an outlier in, in an industry is if you become if you become a congruent brand that people yeah. can see. So communicate that way. That's step one. Step two, find a specific person you're trying to communicate to, whoever that person is. Now, if you have a bunch of clients, it's relatively simple if you have a bunch, right? If you've got you know already 100 clients, 25 clients, you've been, you've been doing this around, it's relatively easy. Find your top 10% of your customers. Now, how do you find the top 10%? People often go, well, these are the people who bring us the most money. That's a mistake. That's a mistake. The actual the answer is you're going to go look at three separate things. Relatively easy to close. Number one, because mm-hmm. remember, you're going to be marketing for new people. So even though you may have a very big client giving you lots of money, if it's because you know your brother runs that company, that's not the answer, right? Does that make sense? You want to because yeah. if it wasn't for your brother, you didn't close that, right? So you want to try to find uh, companies that are relatively easy to close. And again, nothing's easy to close. I mean, relative to the rest of them. Second, relatively easy to service. You don't want to get a client and you have to service them so much, you make no profit, right? Revenue is awesome. I love revenue. I love profit more, right? But revenue is good. I like revenue keeps the keeps the lights on. So um, I like revenue. I prefer to add some profit on top of that. So you want to make sure that they're also relatively easy to um, to service. Both of those two things, right? And the last, of course, is, which is a kind of you both, is profitable. So those three, relatively easy to close, relatively easy to service, and profitable. If you've got two out of the three, that's fine. One out of the three, zero out of the three, do not chase those clients. I'm not saying don't take them. When you require revenue, take who comes in the door. I'm not saying don't take, don't service them. I'm saying do not spend any money to get them. This is my point of efficiency when it comes to sales and marketing. 
I don't want to spend money to get bad clients. I'll take a bad client if I got to keep the lights on. I, I got to pay bills. I'll take a bad client. But I'm not going to spend any money to get one. So now that I know who that client is or clients, you know, I go through my list. If I don't know, I don't have any clients, I make a wish list. Who would I like to have? What do I think? Best guess from my experience. Yeah. Do those things and then decide not just what customer, uh, what client it is, but who is, two different ones, who is the first person within that organization that I usually touch? Not who closes the deal, not the decision maker. Who's the first person I touch? We always go, got to get the decision maker. Not when you're marketing. The CEO's not on Facebook. <laughs> well, today maybe he is. But, you know, Juicy CEO's not on Facebook, but it, but but is maybe, you know, her marketing chief might be. Maybe they're on Facebook. Maybe they're on Twitter. Maybe they're on Instagram. I don't know. And that's yeah. what you have to ask yourself. Who is the first person I want to talk to? And that person. Now, create that person. Literally create that persona. Not of, and it's the key, not of the decision maker, of the first person I'm talking to. Create that persona. If that person is usually a, a woman, I'm making it up, and she's usually a marketing chief. Again, I'm making this up for the sake of argument, but your company knows who you usually touch, talk to. And in some people, it is a CEO. Some people, they go right to the boss. That depends upon who, you know, what you're doing. But for the sake of argument, it's the marketing chief. She's usually a woman. She's usually in her 20s. And I'm saying walk down that direct road. Like she's usually in her 20s. She's usually a marketing chief, usually a woman. Why does that matter? Because I want to take my brand and talk to her in every way I communicate. In every way I communicate. But Larry, not every marketing chief is a woman. That's true. Absolutely. But if I'm focusing on her, I'll get the people around the side. I'll get those people around. If I'm focusing directly on her, I'll yeah. get the people on the side. Because they are still speaking the same language. But Larry, not every marketing chief is in their, in their 20s. I know. I'll get the ones in the 30s too, though, right? If I focus on that one person... I'll get the periphery, but I'm trying to spend my money, my time, my energy on the exact best clients possible. I will take what else falls in and not just that. If I do that well, they will feel comfortable with me. They will refer me other business. Yeah. I Thanks for sharing this. I, I think there, there were a lot of uh, great insights there. And I, I love your uh, take on congruence because um, and, and sort of... Um, uh, you know, being very uh, aligned with your own brand and your customer and, uh, and yeah, just um, living up to whatever you're known for in a sense. Yes. You talked about Walmart. I love that. I love that part because it's definitely true. And uh, you, you want to get what you, what you paid for and what you think you're going to mm -hmm. get. So you want to be right yes. as a customer, as we talked about in the beginning. Well, um, the thing to remember when it comes to customers, you know, people, and particularly if you used to be an employee, and then became an entrepreneur. This is the biggest issue if you're making that shift. Right? If you were an entrepreneur since you were 18, you don't understand this idea. But if you were an employee at one point and then became an entrepreneur, you have to shift into that entrepreneur mindset. And part of that mindset is understanding how hard you work doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter how hard you work. If you don't close deals, you don't get paid. Whether that took you five minutes or five years, doesn't matter. An employee says, boss, I was here all day. Give me my money. Whether I was effective or not, doesn't matter, right? I was here. Give me money. That's how employees work. And that's fine. I'm not against employees. All I'm saying is once you become the entrepreneur, it changes. You get your mind out of that. When it comes to customers, customers don't care 
how much, how hard you work. It's not, it doesn't matter. A customer is not unhappy because you didn't work hard. A customer is unhappy because what they got didn't match expectations, period. If they expect garbage and you give them garbage, they're okay. They expected garbage. They paid for garbage and you gave them garbage. Great. Thank you. I'm happy. Right. But if they expected more than garbage and you give them garbage, now they're mad. And you could have worked 16 hours on that garbage. They don't care. They're mad. You could have worked five minutes. They don't care. It doesn't matter. So that's where we go from the idea of sales into operations. Operations is effectiveness. Right. And sometimes you're going to spend five minutes with the customer. And sometimes you're going to spend hours and hours and hours and hours with a customer. But you've got to be effective. You have to match their expectation, preferably, you know, exceed it. That's not always possible, but preferably exceed it. Now, this becomes a challenge for the marketer. The marketer has to be able to set and manage expectations up front. And that can be challenging. Yeah. That can be challenging because we want to sound like we're the best and you'll be a bazillionaire in five minutes. We want to talk that. I know we do. It's it, But that's the problem, right? We have to make sure that we're hitting the right audience with the right message and we're, and we're making sure expectations are set. Yeah. And um, more than that, I think it's, um, you know, when we talked, you talked about trust at the beginning and uh, and sort of being seen, et cetera. Um, and I think it ties to... Uh, to to what you said about managing expectations because mm-hmm. um, it's it's become so competitive out there like the now we are com- like you're competing basically with the whole world whatever you're yes. doing whatever you're selling and it's beautiful when you're in the top one percent because you have access mm-hmm. to such opportunity and it, like your the effects are like multiplied by you know a factor of I don't know how much but it's it's amazing now whatever. You know, even in a very small niche, if you're in the 1% of the content producers in that niche and the providers in that niche, you're good. You're going to be fine. And uh, uh, But it's, the, the spots are so hard to, to get, and it's becoming so difficult to get there now. Um, Which is why I remember something, right? Your, your point is a very valid one. I love what you're saying. It, the right answer for any either small business or newcomer or someone trying to make the next step is without question, curate, 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 right? The, the thing is back in the day, and I'm old enough to remember this, there used to be a time when a salesperson's job was to educate. Those days are over, right? That's You walk into a, 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 a room or get in a Zoom call with somebody, they've already Googled you. They, they have more information than them's acquired. They may know more than you if you're new to your industry. I mean, they know all kinds of stuff. So education is useless in that regard. Your job is not to educate. Your job is to curate. Your job is to go, yes, this amazing world of stuff is out there, but that doesn't matter to you. What matters for you, Jane Doe, marketing chief, is this. Let me show you what matters. Let me curate this and show you what matters to you. When you are in that world, it is far more important to know the other industry and not yours. You're supposed to know your industry. That's not impressive. I'm a smart marketer. There's a thousand of you just in my, in my, literally like in my block. I'm not impressed because you're a good marketer. I hear that every day. Everybody knows this stuff. And every kid who's 16 tells me he is. I'm not impressed. I don't care. But if instead you say, no, 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 it's not that I'm a good marketer. It's that I know your industry. 
I know I'm going to niche, niche, niche. I know that you are a dog walker and dog walkers always use Instagram to show their pictures of their dogs. And they go, oh my God, you're right. We do. Yeah. So you, you're wasting your time on this, that, and this. Your goal <clears throat> is two things, Instagram and putting a door hanger on someone's door. Because if they're a dog walker, they walk back and when they walk up, they see that door hanger. That's what you got to worry about. Now, I made that up. I have no idea. If that's <laughs> so, but my point is, if I was an expert in that field, I would know that. I would know what is the right thing specifically for a dog walker. Now you go, well, what's happening right now in the market? Blah, 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 blah. I can Google that. Shut up. But tell me what's going on with my specific niche. And you got my attention. And now I'm listening. So niche, niche, niche. And the hardest part is, I hear it all the time, but Larry, you don't get it. I'm a marketer. I could market anybody. I could help so many different people. I could help the world. I know, but nobody cares. No one's listening. So stop. Instead, no. big fish, small pond. The no. more you niche, the better. And here's the reason why. Someone's going to tell me, I know, Larry, but I could service anybody. Great. But if you niche first and become the big fish in the small pond, those people change jobs. Those people have friends. Those people do other things. Those people will give you reviews. Those people will mention you on social media. You will grow outside of the niche if you first focus on the niche. But not just that. You can change niches. So stay in the dog walker niche for a year and a half or two years, whatever is the right answer for your specific company. Grow that out. Have a customer base there. Have people who refer you there. And then see where your referrals went to. And say, for example, in this fictitious case I made up, it, that gets you to pet shops because many dog walkers, no pet shops. I've made all of this up. So now make your niche, your next niche, pet shops. And then work on that for a year or however it's appropriate in your world. And they'll move out. And you know, from there, that becomes this or that or whatever. And pet shops becomes, believe it or not, hospitality. Why? Because people drop their pets off at pet shops when they go off to, uh, you know, to a vacation. So now you move into hospitality and you move into each one as as you need to by niching, niching, niching. You are correct. I want you top 1%. I don't care where, right? I don't care where you're 1%. I remember the story I heard from so, uh, one, of my, one of my classes in anthropology when I was in college. They were talking about um, royalty in Europe. And in Europe, that of course, there many years ago, there were many, many principalities and kings and queens and dukes and barons and all kind of stuff. And there'd be some, you know, some royal guy from some tiny, tiny, you know, places like nine people in it, but he's the king of nine people or whatever, right? That kind of thing. And he'd be walking around with all the other royalty. And people would like say, well, this guy's he's a, he's a nobody. He's not the king of France. You know, who is he? And he'd say, yeah, I may be, I may be small, but I'm still royalty. But I'm still yeah. royalty. And I got to talk with these people. I'm still royalty. And I think you want to look at it that way. My view for anyone who's either new or starting up or someone who's trying to grow or make the next level, big fish, small pond. I'd rather be a king of a small principality than somebody in a big country. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk about your sort of your, your political career and uh, mm -hmm. because uh, I've seen that you um you, you you've started running for you've run for governor i think in new york um, yeah i ran for governor of new york in 2018 yeah so tell me a bit more about that like how did it go how did the process go and uh how do you market yourself as a, as a candidate yeah it's uh i am literally what i just said i'm a big fish in a small pond um my party is a libertarian party 
We are a tiny party. We are probably maybe 3% of the population. I'm I'm probably being generous with that. We're maybe 3% of the population. So we're small. Um, but the two big parties, in my personal opinion, and many people would disagree with me, they are broken. They don't help our country. They don't do anything right. They fight each other. They do nothing except fight. So all they do is their, their entire campaign is, I'm not the other guy. That's their entire campaign. I actually had a campaign that had solutions, that actually that had real ways of solving problems. And I focused on being the best libertarian I could be. And because of that, if you are a libertarian in America, you probably know who I am. Right now, again, there's very few of us, but if you're one of us, you probably know me. I ran one of the largest campaigns ever for a governor. I raised over half a million dollars, which, again, compared to the big boys or the Republicans in my state raised like four million and the Democrat, I think, raised 11 million. I raised half a million. So far less than them. But again, compared to libertarians, massive. It is very rare a third party will ever raise that kind of money. So I raised tons of money. I was able to get on the ballot in our state, which every state in America hates third parties and goes out of its way to sue people, get them off the third party. So we never get on the ballot. We get on the ballot. And we also got from after my loss, I lost the election. Obviously, I'm not the governor of New York. So I lost the election. Clearly, I then helped others to get on board. And we had a, over 100, I think 107, if not mistaken, 107 victories the year after. So libertarians in New York state went from zero to 107. Now, 107. Very small, not many. I mean, compared to the entire state, there's 18 million people in New York state. So 107 elected officials is not a lot. However, it's not zero. And if I look at any other party in New York, except for Democrats, Republicans, it's zero. So when it comes to third parties, again, big fish, small pond. Yeah. So why does that matter? Because I, I ran such a very good third party campaign when any of the big guys want to run in a third party, they call me. Other kings call the prince. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah so sure. other people who are heavy hitters, I mean, people who everybody would know, the second they start thinking, should I run independent? Should I run third party? I get an email and we have a phone call. So I get access to other royalty, if you get my joke on this, <laughs> even though I'm a very small minor prince, right? I am by no means a heavy hitter. I'm a small prince, but I'm still a prince. So they still call me. So that's my point. I, I hope that was clear. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is. And, uh, and congrats on, I mean, on your results. And it's always uh, uh, amazing to, to like, you know, uh, stand up for your ideas and, and go with it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's, um, it's not easy to get out of the sort of the, the political system and, and, and make something happen. I, I know that, I mean, uh, it's, it's even more difficult in the US, but it's, um, it was difficult a few years ago in, in France as well. I, I'm, I'm based mm -hmm. in Paris. Uh, but uh, the, the last presidential election completely um, sort of um, changed the, the landscape. Like the, the, the sure. big two parties completely were blown out. And, uh, um, and now it's a different picture, but uh, congrats for taking the lead. And uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's really great. Well, the other thing you have to worry about here is one of the reasons why I'm libertarian and why I run this way is because the, the political parties now in America are stuck in an industrial age mindset. And we are in a post-industrial age. Leadership has to be about leadership is no longer management, right? If you're if you're working a larger organization, management is relatively easy. Again, I use that phrase relative, relatively easy compared to leadership. Management is processes and resources, 
right? It's what it is. And, and computers do that well already, and they're doing it even better, right? So that isn't, that isn't impressive. You have to be able to be the leader. And leadership is about one thing, emotional communication. It is about being concerned far more about your results than your accuracy. Your results matter. Can I get people to care? Can I get people to want to work? How do I get somebody to be a good employee? It's not by being mad at them and going, do it this way, do more. That isn't the way I do it now. If I was in a factory, maybe, right? There was some, there was some success that way. That's the industrial world. Today's world, I need your brain far more than I need your arms and legs. I need your arms and legs, but that's a minor amount. I need up here. I need your, I need your, your initiative. I need your ideas. I need your ability to take charge and fix things and, and, and deal with problems. I need that far more than anything else. And adjust as the world changes. I need that more than anything. How do I get that? By getting you to want to be here, by getting you on board with my ideas and plans. It's called volunteerism. I don't want you to be here because I get a paycheck. I don't need that guy. I can buy that guy any place, anytime. I want you to be like, I want to be here. This matters to me. I want to be here. And I do that by good leadership, volunteerism. And I say the same thing when it comes to government, right? And the most controversial thing I, I talk about constantly is the uh, the lockdowns from COVID, right? It's very controversial. People get mad at me when I even talk about it, but I don't mind. I'm not saying we shouldn't be locked down. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be helping out our seniors. I'm saying the second government forces it, people rebel. And then it becomes left versus right and they fight. I'm saying lead by example and watch people follow you. Good leaders don't go, sit in your house, I got this. Good leaders say, come on, guys, help me. How do we fix this? How do we set up protocols to protect our people, particularly the elderly when it comes to COVID, because they get destroyed by COVID, right? I mean, COVID just, if you're if you're over 60 and you have a prison condition, it's going to tear you to pieces. How do we protect them and still work? How do we keep our economy moving? How do we do this? How do we challenge ourselves to be better and greater? Because another, an, another virus is coming. I know this is kind of off topic, but the concept is the same. You asked why I, why I ran, because I'm trying to get those ideas out to people that good leaders set the example, good leaders get people to want to follow them, good leaders engage the populace to find the same solutions. I don't want different, I don't want a different outcome. I want the outcome of as a a safe and prosperous nation. That's what I want. How do I get there? If I think it's the stick, I'm gonna have rebellion. If I say it's the carrot and we all get together, I'm gonna find the right answer. Yeah, yeah, it's... um... I think it it definitely applies to the uh, the corporate environment. What you're saying yes. to a small small business, a small structure where eventually uh, you can always fall back to the top down sort of uh, you know approach because there's the, there's one boss and there's or you know maybe a few that are taking uh, taking the, calling the shots. Um, but how do you apply that to a country like the U.S. where you have I don't know 350 million. Uh, People, I, I think, are something like that. Yep. Um, I, I know, I know, a good leader, uh, you know, is consistent. But like you said earlier, um, you, you have to make people follow you. You need to um, engage in like volunteerism, and people need to follow you voluntarily, as you said. But um, when you are when you have such divisions, such partitions, uh, and you don't have sort of the corporate structure to fall back uh, to, which is the case in most private companies. How do you mm-hmm. do this in the public arena? Well, first off, you generally start locally. 
right? Because you're right. How do you control 350 million people? You don't. So you generally start locally. So, but then, and, and I'll use this example. Say you're in a larger organization and you're only one division or department of the organization. Start in your department. Start in your area, right? Same concept. I can't control the entire thing. I, I only run a department in, the, in a large organization. If you own the places, your organization, do it yours, obviously, right? But the first thing is to begin with mission. And it's gonna, it's the old saying from uh, is Simon Sinek, I think, is that right? Who wrote the book, Start With Why? That's the concept, right? The idea is start mission. What most people do is they organize first. That's the mistake. Don't organize first. Nobody, nobody, nobody likes when someone else organizes them, right? Yeah. If I'm doing the organizing, I like it. But if I'm being organized, <laughs> I don't like it. Remember saying people always say the same thing. They say people don't like change. That's not true. People love change. We change all the time. People don't like being changed by somebody else. They hate that, but we change all the time. You change what you eat. You change where you go. You change your job. We change all the time as long as it's voluntary and we do it because we want to. We're happy to change. But the second I tell you, you better eat potato chips. You don't want to eat them now. You don't want to eat them because Larry told me to. I'm not, I hate them. Now you hate them, right? But you might've liked them last week. Now you hate them, right? So that's just human nature. So you start locally with a mission, whatever that is. And the number one thing with a mission is, you know, who is my customer? How do I service them? What happens if I'm good at what I do? What happens if I'm bad at what I do? And how would they know if I was really, really good at what I do? Those are the type of questions you want to ask yourself or your team. And you don't want to tell your team anything. So let's say you're a, you know, you're, you're a marketing company yourself. It's you. You're the marketing company. You got two or three people. You got a couple people who are uh, uh, contractors, a couple people who are entrepreneurs. It's a, I mean, who are actual employees. It's a common setup today, right? Say you're something like that, right? You're that. Get them all in a, in a Zoom meeting and ask the question, who's our customer? Like, who do we service? And have that conversation. And that might be five minutes. That might be 30 seconds. But they'll start telling you who the customers are. Great. Okay. What if we're good at what we do? How, how do they benefit? And they'll start talking about the company. Well, then we'll make more money. No, no, no. Not us. Them. The customer. Not us. Them. Oh, well, then they'll get these things. Awesome. Have that conversation. And then go to, what if we're bad at what we do? Well, they won't come back to us. I don't care about us. Stop talking about us, them. What will happen to them? Oh, well, they'll throw their money away. Yeah, absolutely. What this conversation does is it focuses your team on a mission that is outside of themselves. Yeah. And if people don't care, you have the wrong people on your team. Yeah, this yeah. gives you insight to your team. People are like, I don't care. I'm here to get this and get that. Then they should know better. That person needs to go very soon. Get rid of them very soon. They need to go. Yeah. But if they, but if they start talking about, you're right, what we do matters. It's important if what we do, you've, you're just now creating a mission. If that makes any sense. Yeah, you're creating absolutely. a mandate for why you're there. Now, once you have the issue of, okay, so, so we have to achieve these things for our, for our customers. And if we don't do them, they're going to pay. What would be like a perfect world? What's a perfect world? They discuss the perfect world. Now you say, how do we get there? Organize. That's how you organize. By looking at the perfect world and the team who cares about the perfect world, which you'll never get to, it's perfect, but that's your goal, right? And what's the old uh, saying? 
if you if you shoot for perfection, you will get excellence. So you try it for perfection, you'll never get it, but you'll get excellence if you do it right. So now you get your team focusing on that, and then they will begin to self-organize and shift. Yeah. And I know people tell me, Larry, you have to have the perfect plan. That is insanely dumb. Never works, can't work ever. Terrible idea, but I hear it all the time. Yeah. I would rather have a, a bad plan. I mean, literally a bad plan executed by people who care and are all on the same page than a yeah. perfect plan executed by people who don't care. Because the bad plan, if executed by people who care, will evolve and change and become better as we move forward because they care. This yeah. goes back to the idea of leadership versus management. Yeah. If you mm-hmm. lead your people well, they will change the plan. They'll come to you and go, Bodice, it's not working, man. This is not working. We got to change it. Okay, what are we going to do here? And then we shift and we move. And before you know it, you got a real good plan. Yeah, there's a lot more so to think, come. And yeah, mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was I was about to say that there's a, a lot more in common, uh, you know, uh, than we think between uh, political involvement and yes. market marketing because you need to, in order to work uh, in order for it to work you need to be dedicated to serving people um, mm-hmm. in, a, in an authentic way and the as you said the plan doesn't matter the organization doesn't matter it can start small and uh, but what matters is, is the service is serving and uh, yes yeah. So absolutely, I think it's a it's a great uh, place to maybe stop the interview. I, I've uh, went over time a little bit there. <laughs> Sorry about that, Larry. Uh, I have a of... habit of talking. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it's fine. It was great. L- loved your insights. Um, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time. Uh, where can we follow you online? Sure, you can head over to my my consulting company's the Neo Sage Group, and my um, my podcast is the Sharp Way. Just Google Larry Sharp. I'll pop up all over the place. <laughs> um, I'm happy to reach out. Reach out to me on social media. My team monitors all my social media. So if you want to respond to me on social media, feel free. We'll get back and forth either way. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time again. Have a great one.